0: Thank you so much. You've ministered to our hearts and drawn us closer to our Lord. Thank you so much. And good morning. I'd love for you now to take your Bibles as we're once again turning to a passage that deals with one of the critical questions that Jesus Christ posed in his earthly ministry. And this question or these questions were offered right at the point in which Jesus Christ has descended from the Mount of Transfiguration and now finds himself in the midst of still another confrontation with the evil realm. And so I'd like to pick it up now in the 14th verse of the 17th chapter of the book of Matthew. And here we find these words. And when they came to the crowd, A man came up to him, and kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire, and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How
1: long am I to bear with you?
0: Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. And so once again, we find our Lord in the midst of a a confrontation with the evil realm. And we've got to understand the timing of it all, the reason for it all, and what can we learn from this for our own personal lives. Let's look to our Lord together. Prayer.
1: Now, Father, as we're coming into Your presence, we're coming
0: before the God of the universe. You're holy. You're righteous. And you're good. We entered into this world sinful
1: people. But again, what
0: resonates within our hearts when we look into Your Word? that by your grace, you sent Jesus Christ into this world to die for our sins. And we are here this morning because of his finished work. Our works are always marked by incompleteness. But Jesus Christ's work on the cross was final and total because of that, we can enter your presence with assurance. Now, Father, in these services this morning, in the comings and the goings of the summer days, we thank you for your continual presence in our midst, and for the various struggles that people are facing in this congregation and all these services, we're praying that by your grace, you'll minister to them, their point of need. There might be those that need to come to saving faith. If that's the case. We're asking that the Holy Spirit press deeply upon that heart, leading that person to you. And for those, Father, that know you, love you, want to grow in you, we pray that now that you're going to saturate their minds, their hearts, their souls with your word. Warm these hearts.
1: Engage these minds and shape these wills. Because again, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. We pray this again now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a passage that deals with faith
0: and mountains. In 1942, George Mallory and a party of Englishmen tried to scale Mount Everest. A writer tells us that after enduring incredible hardships, they reached a base camp at 25,000 feet. And from this point, two of them set out for the summit, but their heroic attempt failed. Today, Mallory and his companion, Mr. Irvine, lie buried under the eternal snows of that Himalayan peak, and their colleagues return to England to tell the story. One of them addressed a large London audience, and he stood before an enlarged photograph of Mount Everest. And after he described the difficulties and the tragedies of their expedition, the man turned and addressed the mountain. Everest, he said, we tried to conquer you once, but you overpowered us. We tried to conquer you the second time, and again you were too much for us. But Everest, I want you to know that we are going to conquer you by faith. For you cannot grow any bigger.
1: But we can.
0: And when I came across those words, of relating faith and mountains. I tucked that away somewhere in my memory bank because I knew somewhere along the way we would be dealing with a passage such as this today. Because what we find before us now is a scene in which Jesus Christ has descended from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John there has been a powerful declaration regarding Jesus from the Father above. Where on that mount, God the Father had said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so now, Peter, James, and John are going to have to have ears to be educated with as they descend this mountain to find that the other disciples are involved in a wrestling match with the evil realm. What I want to do with you now is to draw out three faith strengtheners found in these verses that perhaps better equip us to understand how to translate this passage of Scripture into 2014 living. Three. The first is found in verse 14 down through verse 16. We'll phrase it like this, number one, that our faith in Christ needs to be strong for the challenges that we will encounter. And the challenge here that the disciples we'll encounter is the challenge of the evil realm. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever we come across a narrative passage, I'm always looking at the timing of the events. What has just occurred? Why have such things occurred? And begin to fit all these things together. When you and I find that they have just ascended this mountain, we're informed in verse 14 with their timing word, when. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire, And often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Now when you look at that, I want you to ponder with me a pattern that seems to unfold, we've noted in our inserts, but let's develop it as well. You might remember that when we look back at the baptism of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 3, there was this declaration from the heavens, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But immediately after that heightened experience, Jesus Christ is thrust into the midst of confronting the evil realm, where in the very next chapter, the fourth chapter, he is being led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil.
1: Connect the dots.
0: As we noted last week, Jesus Christ had taken his disciples to a point in Caesarea Philippi and posed this question, who do people say that the Son of Man is from the 16th chapter and the 13th verse? And they answered some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Another revelation from the heavens. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, which connects, of course, to what was declared at the baptism of Jesus Christ. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. But again, immediately after a revelation of Christ's identity, Jesus Christ, again, is thrust into confrontation with the evil realm, where Peter then would take him aside, begin to rebuke him, when Jesus speaks of going to the cross, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan not with a question mark, but with an exclamation point, you are a hindrance to me. Once again, after Jesus Christ has been identified, the evil realm thrusts itself forward to create some form of a hindrance, a forward movement to the cross. So should it come as any surprise now that after that mountaintop experience, in the 17th chapter, where again we are told in terms of a voice from the cloud above saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, listen to him. that now as they descend that mountain, again Jesus Christ finds himself in confrontation with the evil realm. The disciples then should be picking up on a pattern that when you fully embrace who Jesus Christ is, then you're going to have to fully prepare yourself for the confrontation of that which is opposed to who Christ is and what Christ has done. Which means, practically speaking, when you and I have experienced those intimate times with our Lord, we should brace ourselves then for possible challenges that come as a result of that. After a Sunday comes a Monday, you see. After a Mount of Transfiguration, while you're in the heights, comes a confrontation with the evil realm when you are in the depths of the valley. And so now, you look at what's unfolding here, and there's this natural pattern that occurs in Jesus Christ's life. That's why we are always cautious with our students, for example, when they come back from some major teen event, national conferences and so on, mountaintop experiences, be prepared for what might come next because so much of life is lived not on the mountain but in the valley. And so when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, kneeling before him. Notice this father. I want you to be able to get a sense of his, of his emotional state here. Look at verse 15 and his cry for mercy. He said, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is an epileptic. And he suffers. He suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. Now I want you to ponder with me now. This is the father's diagnosis. He suffers from epilepsy. I want you to notice the destructive nature that resides within this young boy. And begin to think about what his parents are going through at night.
1: Is he awake
0: at three in the morning?
1: What's he doing? Are our other children okay? Is he involved in destructive behavior? Is the house Okay. Some of the
0: parents of our congregation know what it's like, so to speak, to have eyes wide open at three in the morning wondering, what's going on? What should I be concerned about?
1: Is everything okay? Okay. Because the evil realm seems to thrive on the night
0: times of life while parenthood is a 24-7 experience. Do you feel this father here? Now, he describes the extremes that this son has positioned himself in. He uses the extremes of fire and the extreme of water. Two opposites, in fact. Combine them and you extinguish the fire. But it's very obvious that what we find here is the destructiveness of life being revealed here through the symptoms of this boy. And so because the father has described him as epileptic, I, I paused, I went through some New England journals of medicine and the likes, and I thought, well, you know, close friend, and as a neurologist, I thought, let's, as a neurologist, give me your take. And so I emailed him and said, as I prepare for this Sunday's exposition, I was interested to learn of your perspectives on this boy's condition from a neurologist's vantage point. The Father, not Christ here, describes the boy as epileptic. Christ addresses the condition as a demonic matter. The spiritual cause, though, behind the physical symptoms are addressed. Do you have any thoughts from your years of medical experience? And so he got back to me uh, yesterday evening. Hey, Gary. Some information from this passage in Matthew 17 and the corresponding passage in Luke 9 provides information that clearly describes the boy's condition as epilepsy. First, he's a child. And children tend to have the worst, most difficult challenges in controlling epilepsy. About one-third of patients we see with epilepsy have refractory seizures, i.e., ones that cannot be completely controlled with medication. And as a result of his seizures, he is suffering terribly. And in Luke's account, the boy's father states that his seizures shatter him, quote-unquote. In the first century AD, his seizure disorder would almost certainly result in premature death. The convulsions caused him to fall back into the fire of water, a common history obtained from epileptics known as the falling sickness described as far back as 1050 B.C., which results in bone fractures and other traumatic injuries and death. Luke, the physician, in his account, describes other typical features of epilepsy. The boy suddenly cries out the classic epileptic cry as air is forced out of the lungs by contracting respiratory muscles through vocal cords that are partially closed, convulses, foams at the mouth. Autonomic nervous system causing increased salivation through stimulation of the salivary glands. I hope this information as a neurologist will be useful as you exposit God's word tomorrow. Your fellow great physician. Your fellow physician in light of the great physician. Now what I admire is that firm understanding of the supernatural realm and also believes that there are demonic elements involved in the issues of life. And what strikes us here, when we're looking very carefully at what's being described, is that there are both causes and symptoms to be understood. And sometimes when such symptoms are visible... It's due to biological causes. And other times when such symptoms are evident, it's due to spiritual causes. Now Jesus, the great physician, wise and discerning as he is, is able to understand the cause and the symptoms. And so... Great physician, he has this father who is so burdened, he comes into the presence of this great physician, kneeling before Jesus, crying out for mercy, describes the epileptic symptoms. And Jesus Christ understands the root causes. Fascinating feeling this father's emotional state. He wisely goes now to the one who's able to provide and meet the needs of the family. Now I want you to notice something about verse 16. You move here from the father to the matter of the disciples. And he says, I brought him to your disciples, which means the nine that were still in the valley because Peter, James, and John were with Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration. And you and I are told here, I brought him to your disciples and they could not h- heal him. The Greek word here, "therapeutai." It's the word we get, therapeutic. They couldn't offer the right therapeutic approach here. They were unable to meet this critical need. What we've got to be able to do at this point is to recognize that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is all Powerful. And the disciples have been overwhelmed because evidently, as Jesus Christ will shortly point out to them, they lack faith. In his classic work, The Screwtape Letters, C. S. Lewis fictionalized an ongoing correspondence between a senior devil, Screwtape, and his ambitious demon nephew, Wormwood. Here's an excerpt from one of the letters for Screwtape's counseling his nephew on the important point of strategy regarding, quote-unquote, this Christian patient under Wormwood's jurisdiction. My dear Wormwood, I wonder, you should ask me, whether it is essential to keep that Christian patient in ignorance of your own existence. That question, at least for the present phase of the struggle, has been answered for us by the high command. Our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. speaking of the demonic realm. I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in tight red in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that and in parenthesis it's an old textbook method of confusing them, he therefore cannot believe in you. And so now, the problem is this. The disciples have been confronted by physical symptoms. The question here, are they able then to discern the spiritual causes behind these physical symptoms? Which is a challenge as well in much of society today. So you see this overburdened father who's on 24-7 alert. You can imagine the wearied heart. And you look at the disciples here that seem overmatched and overwhelmed by what they've been confronted with. And now Peter, James, and John, along with Jesus, have descended from this mount where they've heard this statement, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And now they're going to have to listen, as should we, as Jesus begins to speak. Our faith in Christ needs to be strong for the challenges we will encounter. R.T. France, in his commentary, points out to us wisely so that The demonic realm in the Gospels never seeks Jesus out for the sake of being expelled from the person. And the person doesn't, either. Instead, what you will find is that someone else has to be involved in this process. And here is a burden, father. Here, then, is the second strength finder, that our faith in Christ needs to be strong for the questions that we will face. And Jesus now answered, O faithless and twisted generation. And he's taking us back to a statement used by Moses to describe the generation likewise that he was ministering to in the wilderness. And now you begin to see a parallel between what Moses experienced when he was on Sinai while the people below rebelled, and here was Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and this faithless, you see, and twisted generation down below. Maybe you can find your heart resonating with the questions now that begin to be delivered by Jesus as this Father is waiting expectantly for deliverance somehow, some way, and he's going to have to wait just a bit longer because Jesus now has a timing question, two of them in fact,
1: how long am I to be with? How
0: long am I to bear with you? Have you ever found that in the midst of the overwhelming experiences of life, you've been asking that how long question? How much longer am I going to have to face this?
1: Do you realize that
0: you have a Savior that posed the same question? and lived his life faithfully before his Father in heaven? As you grapple with the how long questions in your own life, are you willing to live faithfully for your Father who's in heaven? How long?
1: Not once. Twice.
0: Jesus poses those questions but then says, bring him here to me. Now, what is fascinating at this point is what comes next. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, after hearing the phrase, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, were then furthermore told, listen to him. Jesus' words are powerful. And in verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon. Do you remember that account we looked at a few weeks back when questions were being posed by Jesus with regard to the disciples' faith? Why are you so timid? As he rebuked the winds and the waves, same word, and they calmed him simultaneously,
1: When you and I know from
0: common experience, when the winds die down, typically the waves continue to thrust themselves against the shorelines. Do you see the authority of God's Word? Jesus' authority is not only over the natural realm, the winds and the waves, but over the spiritual realm as well. Are you able to entrust your loved ones to the one who's able to diagnose and get behind the symptoms and truly be able to interpret, evaluate, and prescribe the remedy pertaining to the causes? This word rebuke was not only used, though, by Jesus, it was also used against Jesus, Because furthermore, in the revelation of who Christ was, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, from the lips of Peter, would later come a rebuke from Peter of Jesus when Jesus spoke of going to the cross to die for their sins. And therefore, Jesus had to identify the cause. He didn't say, get behind me, Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. Again, now, what we find here is Jesus Christ discerning cause behind symptoms. He knows what lurks beneath the surface. Have you been impressed this past week with the sophistication of the Israeli defense system? Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system has been highly visible protecting its airspace during Operation Protective Edge. But exactly how the military is locating Hamas's labyrinth of underground tunnels between Israel and Gaza and whether it is using new technologies to uncover this remains a closely held secret. Quote, Due to security concerns... We cannot specify the tools or the methods that are being used at this point to uncover these tunnels from from the Israel Defense Force's spokesperson. But they describe these tunnels as much like a subway system functioning beneath the surface hidden from the average set of eyes, but producing opportunities for sudden, unexpected attacks. Since the beginning of the ground phase of Operation Protective Edge, the IDF has uncovered over 31 terror tunnels as part of a vast and complex tunnel network planned by Hamas over the years, the IDF spokeswoman said it is evident that Gaza is constructed upon a fully developed underground terror city, which the IDF is at the peak of its unveiling and decommissioning. Now, what Jesus is able to discern is the so-called underground aspects to what is taking place in this child, in this boy's soul. He knows the terroristic tendencies, but he's also to go beyond the symptoms and see the underlying issues involved and counter it. And now Jesus, with his powerful word, utilizes the usage of rebuke, rebukes the demon, not the boy, in the very same way that Jesus likewise recognized that Peter was the avenue, not the source, when Jesus said, get behind me. And so he rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And just like with the wind and the waves in the natural realm, so in the spiritual realm, the boy was healed instantly. Do you see the power of the word? The power of the word that's unfolding in front of in front of our very eyes. And the authority of Jesus Christ at this at this very moment. When Robert Morrison, the first missionary to go to China, was leaving his ship in a Chinese port. His biographer tells us that the captain sneeringly said, So you think you're going to make an impression upon China? Morrison quietly replied,
1: No, sir, but I believe God will.
0: The disciples, the nine that were out in the valley while Jesus and the three were up in the mountain. Evidently, we're trying to make an impact, but not taking into account the role of faith, that this is a matter of God's work, not this. And likewise, as you and I are confronted with a series of questions from the Scriptures, we've got to make absolutely certain that it is God who's meant to make the impression and not us. God who's meant to have the impact and not us. So this leads us now to the third strength finder, That our faith, thoroughly in Christ, needs to be strong for the assessments we will experience. Jesus loves to do review preview with his disciples. He sends them out; they come back; they report in. And so now the disciples in verse nineteen came to Jesus privately. I said, why could we not cast it out? And we respect them because they went to Jesus. They recognized their limitations. They want to know why. And likewise, when we're overwhelmed by the challenges of life in the valley of everyday living, we've got to be able to ask God through the scriptural teachings, When we are unable to function effectively, why? Here's Jesus' response in verse 20. He said to them, Because of your little faith. Which makes you think then that they were operating somehow, some way, differently than they were meant to operate when it came to addressing these issues. Because hadn't Jesus in Matthew 10, verse 1, call his 12 disciples and give them all authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, according to Matthew, and to heal every disease and every affliction? That was their commission. So what was it that they were doing if they were operating not on the basis of faith? Evidently, they were approaching this issue methodically not by faith. Programmatically, but not by faith. Procedurally, but not by faith. Presumptively, but not by faith. Which can be the very same challenge that a church can face and the people of a congregation can face on a daily basis when we are confronted, when we are challenged by the issues of life, and instead of making faith central to the issue, we make it peripheral and opt for a method-based, program-based, procedural-based, presumptive-based alternative and think that God will bless.
1: When what we have to do is to embrace what Morrison said when he left that ship. No, sir. But I believe God will.
0: And so now, what Jesus does is that He makes a statement at the foot of the Mount of Transfiguration offering this proverbial perspective for them pertaining to matters of faith at this point. I can imagine they are gazing up at where Peter, James, and John had stood with Jesus. And where Peter, James, and John had been challenged, listen to him. They had continued to listen to him as he now, through proverbial teaching, goes on to say, for truly I say to you, if you have faith, he will not leave that theme. If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, note the contrast here. You will say to this mountain, move
1: from here to there. And it will move. And nothing will be
0: impossible for you and can you imagine the way they are now taking this proverbial teaching and pressing it into their, into their hearts? Because this form of approach to the issues of life will be needed, as described in the book of Acts, as they are confronted with a series of challenges and difficulties, as they face head-on the evil realm. Now, there is where you and I, likewise, have got to get our arms around this. Where's my faith? Where's your faith? For the challenges we encounter, the questions we'll face, the assessments God produces that we'll experience, do we really want from the lips of Jesus to say, with regard to the issues that we have been overwhelmed by, we couldn't manage them because of our little faith? Or are we prepared by faith to face the issues of life by the grace of God? Everest, he said, we tried to conquer you once, but you overpowered us. We tried to conquer you the second time, and again you were too much for us. But Everest, I want you to know that we are going to conquer you by faith, for you can't grow any bigger, but we can. But make absolutely certain that it is faith in Christ and not in self. Because when it's faith in Christ, we face the challenges. God's will, God's way,
1: for God's glory. Let's stand together. And some of us this morning in these services might feel at this moment overmatched by something that we are facing.
0: And there's a father in this story who 24-7 is having to face challenges. There's disciples in the story that seem so overwhelmed. But he is a Jesus through his spoken word. Reveals his power and his authority. And what we need to do, Father, is to put our faith in the one who has all power and all authority.
1: Our Jesus.
0: So no matter what it is that we're facing right now, Father. And it seems like a 24-7 challenge. I pray now that they will take these principles, apply them practically speaking to the issues we face, and leave, Father, with our eyes focused upward to the one who died for our sins. And For this we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.